Matthew 2, 13 to 15, and Matthew 19 through 23. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went there and lived in a town called Nazareth. So he was fulfilled what was said by the prophets, he will be called a Nazarene. Well, Merry Christmas again, everybody. Why don't we do something before we get into the passage for tonight? Why don't we just a Christmas blessing to each other? Why don't we wish each other a Merry Christmas? Can we just take a moment just to turn around and shake a hand and say to somebody, even somebody you don't know, Merry Christmas. favorite cowboy. Merry Christmas. I want to say thank you so very, very much. <laughs> All right. Well, good evening, everybody. So festive tonight. It's great to see all of you here. Did you catch that line in Matthew chapter 2, verse number 15 that Jonathan just read? It said, out of Egypt I called my son. Out of Egypt I called my son. Does that not put you in the Christmas mood? Out of Egypt I called my son. Does that send like Christmas chills up and down your spine? You know, what is it with Matthew? What is it with his version of the Christmas story? There's no inn. There's no innkeeper. There's no shepherds, there's no glory to God in the highest, there's no singing. Matthew begins with the genealogy of Jesus Christ. That's how he begins his Christmas story. We've been working our way for the past month, the Advent season of the Christian calendar, looking at Matthew's version of the Christmas story. And he just doesn't give you those warm things that you see so often in the Gospel of Luke. Instead, he gives you a genealogy he starts with, and then he moves to... A potential divorce. Hey, that always makes everybody feel in the Christmas spirit, right? And the next thing you know, you've got Jesus running for his life from Bethlehem and hiding down in Egypt. And that is Matthew's version of the Christmas story. Matthew is a reminder. He, he's really into reminding you about things. Does anybody here have somebody in their life that tends to remind them of stuff all the time? Yeah, yeah. You don't really like to talk about that a lot, right? What is it with wives? What's up with wives anyway, man? How come, how come they can remember everything? When you kind of get in a little disagreement, how come they remember everything? And for a man, for like a husband, it's like you can't, it's like you just got hit with that thing from Men in Black. And they're douche, you know, where you can't, you know, boom. Like, you always say, well, what is it? What do I say? Ah, 
I don't know. I can't remember. What I got? Is that like God's way of, I don't know what God's doing to husbands, but we can't remember. Well, Matthew's deal is, is he's into reminding us of some really important things. And that's why he takes the tact on the Christmas story that we see him take. He's always saying, do you remember? Remember what the prophets said? So as you read through the Christmas story and as you continue on through all of Matthew, he's constantly saying that. Don't you remember what the prophets said? And when you really think about it, everybody, the evidence is quite compelling on Jesus Christ being the Messiah, being God, because nobody is disputing, right? Nobody is disputing the fact that the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures, were written hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus Christ was born on Christmas. Nobody's disputing that fact. And so Matthew is saying things like Isaiah 7. He's like, hey, everybody, remember, remember Isaiah 7, written like 700 years before Jesus, that the Messiah would be born of a virgin? Or he says, Remember Micah 5, that the Messiah is to be born in Bethlehem? So all this is written hundreds of years before Jesus shows, and that's pretty compelling evidence. But he just continues on and on. He says in Jeremiah 31, he reminds them that he would be hunted by, by a wicked and evil king. In Isaiah 40, he says he would have an advanced man by the name of John the Baptist. In Isaiah 53, he reminds everybody that the Messiah would heal people. In Psalm 78, he reminds everybody that the Messiah would speak in parables. And in Zechariah 9, he says that the Messiah would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. And what we see here in Matthew chapter 2, twice Matthew reminds us that all of this has been fulfilled. All of this has been fulfilled. The word fulfilled in Greek means to fill up. In other words, he's saying that Jesus Christ like fills up the entire Old Testament with all the prophecies and all the promises of what he would do. Jesus fills it all up. And so he reminds, he's constantly reminding. Have you ever been like really super excited about a gift? Like you thought there's a great potential, maybe it's Christmas, maybe it's this Christmas, but you felt like there's this great potential that you were going to get this awesome gift and you had this anticipation, like you could feel tingly all over your body. You couldn't sleep at night because you had this anticipation you're going to get this awesome gift. Maybe, maybe you're graduating from high school and you thought, my parents, this is it, they're going to buy me a car because they graduating from high school, you know, and maybe some of you experienced that. Good for you. That's awesome. And you didn't get, maybe you didn't get the car. Maybe you were disappointed. And so you graduated from college. You thought, okay, I'm graduating from college and now they're going to buy me a car. And they didn't do it. So you went and got a master's degree, right? Maybe you're up on your third doctorate. You're still waiting for that new car, but you have the anticipation that there's something awesome that's going to happen. A new car. How about a, a new diamond? Do diamond, a new diamond anything, right? Ring, earrings, who cares? As long as it's diamonds. Maybe some of you are hopeful that this Christmas season is the season of diamonds for you, right? I don't know, but uh, maybe it's a new flat screen. Did, uh, some of you might have caught this on the internet. You saw where this airline, I can't remember the name of the airline. West, 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 all right, all right. <laughs> some of you did see the video. This, WestJet, is it a Canadian company? Okay, wow, all right. I didn't, I didn't know, I'm sorry. I'm not up on my airlines. 
And so they go to the, to, when people are checking in the gate, of course, they know everybody's picture and everybody's name now. We have all that down. And so they got this Santa. He's on a video screen, but he's live. And he's like, hey, Joey, how are you? And what do you want, Joey? And Joey, I want a car. Another couple, I want a flat screen. One guy said, I want underwear and socks. And so what they did is two hours away at their destination where they were going to, they had a whole group of people went out and they bought all that stuff for them and they wrapped it up. And so when they got to their destination, here comes down where the luggage comes out is all these presents wrapped up with their names on it. That's pretty cool, huh? I never flew an airline like that. I'm flying WestJet a little more often. But you think about what if you got the perfect gift? What if you got the perfect gift? Here's the thing. My wife is an awesome gift giver. I've talked about this before, but really, she's, she's world class. And what makes that so strange is I am the worst gift giver in the world. And when you put somebody who's like, like you put a real tall person next to a really short person, it just really accentuates the difference there. And so it's very aggravating for her, I'm sure. She's reminded me of this before. (laughs) This kind of, and I've talked about the fact that I went to Israel on like a two and a half week trip many, many years ago, and I brought mud back, and we all have a great time. But that's not, that's not even half of what I've actually done in my gift giving, uh, career. One year, I bought her a pizza for her birthday. And I don't, mean, I don't mean I bought her a pizza as a meal. I bought her a pizza as the gift for her, for her birthday. It was one time that I bought her these, these candles, the Rockettes, the rocket candles, you know, the, the dancers up in New York. I brought her these rocket. It seemed like a great idea at the time. I mean, who, what, what wife would not want their husband to give these candles with these beautiful, perfect women kicking the legs, you know? I thought... Of course she's going to love it. Yeah, she didn't love it. I got, a t- I got her a t-shirt one time. It was like really cheapo. I got two bucks for the t-shirt. I had a camel on it, and I thought she'd like the camel. All of these gifts, and I've given her more just like that, I would have thought, I would have thought that she would like it. And, and at the time, in the moment, in the moment, it really felt right. But in hindsight, I see bad move. It's a really bad move on, on my part. So, Matthew says this, all right, here's the gift. Out of Egypt, I've called my son. Out of Egypt. And as you read that, we might be tempted just to read over thing, and then some of us might, we might slow down and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, that feels like there's something more to that. What does that mean, out of Egypt, I've called? Remember, Matthew is reminding us. He's reminding us of a really great gift. What does Egypt represent? Oh, you know, you could watch the Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston. You can get a good flavor about what Egypt is. Or more recently, you could watch The Prince of Egypt with Steven Spielberg put together, and you could come up with a you know, pretty decent answer on what Egypt represents. Of course, we know that Egypt represents bondage and slavery, but do you realize that Egypt represents so much more than that, everybody? So when Matthew writes, Out of Egypt I've called my son, you know what's being said there. For all of those who will place their faith in the son right? Out of Egypt, you shall go. Out of Egypt, you shall go. And what does Egypt mean? Egypt, of course, is bondage. It's slavery. But what else is it? It's all of the misery of this world. It's all the pain. It's all the humiliation. It's all the rejection. It is everything that is wrong with your world. That's Egypt for you. Egypt represents everything that is wrong right now, right here, in this auditorium with your world. That's what Egypt represents. 
And what Matthew is saying is, out of Egypt I've called my son, and if we will follow him, he will deliver us from all that is Egypt. Egypt represents death and crying and wailing and pain. Egypt represents our worst nightmare. Whatever that is for you and whatever you have experienced, that is what Egypt is. Have you ever noticed, reading through the scriptures, right? Have you ever noticed the similarities between Jesus and Moses? So when it said, out of Egypt, I call my son, do you ever think about this? Wait a minute, wait a minute. What are the similarities between Jesus and Moses? What's going on? Because Moses says in Deuteronomy 18, he's speaking on behalf of God. He says, God is going to raise up a prophet like myself, but he's going to be even greater than me. And then Hebrews comes along and says, yes, there's one greater than Moses. There's these incredible similarities between Jesus Christ and Moses. Think about this. Moses is born, right? If you watch Prince of Egypt or you watch the Ten Commandments, 500-hour-long movie, right? That really wrong, wrong way. But at the beginning of the movie, right, Moses is born. What's happening when Moses is born? What's taking place? What does what wicked King Pharaoh do? He's killing all the baby boys. He's killing all the baby boys. And so Moses has to be hidden in a basket. So when Jesus Christ is born, what happens? A crazy, wicked king, Herod the Great, is killing all the baby boys in Bethlehem. And Jesus Christ has to be hidden, hidden down in Egypt. Interesting similarity. There's more. Moses is rejected by his family, and he's rejected by his people. Remember, as Moses gets older, he thinks, you know what? He sees one of his brothers being uh, mistreated, and so he goes to his defense. And the very next day, he sees two of his brothers, Israelites, and they're fighting amongst each other. And he says, you know, I'll go over to them, and surely they're going to recognize I'm the deliverer. And they say, who, you know, who do you think you are? And they reject him. And Jesus Christ is rejected by his family, and he's rejected by his people. A great similarity. Moses is the great deliverer, and after he delivers the Israelites, they go through the Red Sea. And what does Paul say about the Red Sea in 1 Corinthians 10? He says, when they went through the Red Sea, it was like baptism. It's like they're being baptized. And then right from the Red Sea into the desert for how many years? Forty years to be tempted and tested. Now, how about Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ is baptized in the Jordan River, and then what does he do right after the Jordan River? Where does he go? Straight to the desert to be tempted for 40 days by the devil. Look at those similarities. It's absolutely fascinating. The emotion, everyone, of Advent. This is for 2,000 years in the Christian church. We have celebrated this thing that we call Advent. It's it's about anticipating the return of Jesus Christ. The emotion of Advent is anticipation because Jesus Christ has fulfilled all the promises of the Old Testament, as Matthew has reminded us. What he is saying here tonight when he says, out of Egypt, I have called my son, is since he's fulfilled all the promises, and there's many of the Old Testament, surely he's going to fulfill the promise, the promise of the New Testament. And what is that promise? that Jesus will deliver you out of Egypt. Advent, we think of this time of year, we, we look back and we think about Jesus Christ born in the manger. Do you realize that's a very small part of Advent? That's just, look, the looking back part is like little minuscule part of Advent. Advent in the Christian church is really about this. It's about looking forward. The biggest part of Advent is looking forward, that Jesus Christ is going to fulfill his promise. What is his promise? What promise has he made to us? John chapter 14, verse number 3. What does he say? I'll be back. 
long before Arnold Schwarzenegger ever said it in, ter- in Terminator. He stole that from Jesus, okay? Long before, Jesus Christ says to his disciples in the upper room, he says to them, he says, I'll be back. It's his promise. And what is he coming back to do? First Thessalonians chapter 4 says it this way. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with the commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God. We will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we'll be with the Lord forever. That is the reason Matthew is excited tonight. He's not excited as much for the birth of Jesus as he is for the return of Jesus on the second advent. When Christ comes back and delivers his people out of Egypt, out of all the misery and all the pain and all the nightmare that we all experience in this life. Think about this. His first advent, if we place our faith in his righteousness and in his behavior, not in our behavior, but in him, if we, during his first advent, place our faith in the righteousness and perfection of Jesus Christ, our souls are saved. That's what the scripture says. But his second advent is what delivers us from the pain of Egypt. His first advent brought you salvation, but it did not bring you out, did it? His first advent brought you salvation, but it did not bring you out. Believing And Jesus Christ saves our soul, but it didn't stop us from getting our feelings hurt this past week. Did it? We still struggle with rejection, and we still struggle with pain, and we still struggle with health problems, and all the hurts of this world. We still deal with disappointment and failure. We still deal with... Uh, relationship problems, impatience, and bad attitudes, and money problems. It saves us, but it doesn't deliver us from all the troubles. And Jesus Christ tells us himself. He says, in this world, you're going to have trouble. And some of us get really confused about that sometimes. Oh, man, but I place my faith in Jesus Christ. Like, all my troubles should go away. No, no, you're not out of Egypt yet. That's the second advent. The first advent is salvation. The second advent is I'm going to deliver you out of Egypt. I'm going to take you out of your pain and your misery that all of us experience in this life. Do you realize what the second advent means? The second advent means is that you're leaving all the misery behind. That, everybody, is something to get excited about and to anticipate. Advent is all about anticipation. So what is one of the most common, or in my opinion, the most common responses when you say to people, well, uh, Jesus Christ is coming back. Are you excited about Jesus Christ coming back? Here's the most common response that I feel and that most people say to me, I'm, that's awesome. I hope Jesus Christ comes back, but just not yet. Not yet. Okay? It's cool. There's just some stuff I still want to get done. I'm not ready for Jesus Christ to return yet. I just a little bit longer. Aren't we the craziest people in the world? So we're living in Egypt under bondage, slavery, insult, humiliation, abuse, crime, war, insult, racial problems, all this junk in this world. We're like, oh yeah, Jesus, come back. Just not yet. You know, I, I just want to deal with this misery just a little bit longer. Right? It's so much better here than you could possibly offer me once you get rid of all my nightmares. That kind of doesn't make sense, does it? See, the deal is with Advent and out of Egypt, when, he, when Jesus comes, the second Advent, everything that's wrong with your world is going to end. 
that that's what the second advent's about. Everything that is wrong in your world right now tonight, everything that you find hateful and hurtful about your world tonight ends for you on the second advent of Jesus Christ. Think about that. Is that enticing? Is that exciting? That the Messiah is going to come back and he's going to take you out of that misery? He's going to take you out of that problem and pain? This is what Matthew is talking about. And that is something to get excited about. He's going to deliver you from all that. A number of years ago, I guess probably 10 at least, maybe more, 12 or 13 probably, when my son was like 7 or 8 years old, we were riding bikes, my wife, my son, and myself, we go to this park. And at this time of my son's life, he was really into this thing called Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, okay? I don't know how they got to be mutant turtles. I don't know if they would live next to a nuclear plant. I don't know anything about their history, but I didn't know the storyline, but I knew what they looked like, and I know that he loved them, and I knew it involved swords. And so we go to this park, and he, we, we, we ride in this park, right? And we're kind of sitting up high. He was down low, so he couldn't see this. But there was this guy in the park all by himself up in a corner of the park, and he had this huge samurai sword, and he was just whipping that thing all over the world. Well, the moment Kristen and I saw that, our eyes lit up because we knew if our son could see this guy flipping that samurai sword around, look, for a little seven-year-old kid, the whole world goes perfect. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, there could be nothing wrong with the world the moment he sees the samurai sword and this guy flipping around. And so he said, Jonathan, come, 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 you know, come this way. And he said, what did he say? No. And we said, no, 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 trust. And sometimes as parents, you do this, just trust us. We want to, when, we want to get you to trust us. This is going to be awesome. Just trust us, come. We didn't want to tell him what was up there with the sword because he would have come. I said, just come. He said, no, no, I come. And then he kind of pitched a fit. He wouldn't do it. And finally, we said, well, that's it. You know, so and he missed out on the whole sword thing, which would have made his life beautiful. <laughs> this is the same thing. This is the same thing, Matthew 2, that's being said to us. We're like, no, I want to stay here in Egypt with all the misery, with all the problems, with all the nightmares, with all the pain. And God's saying, when I return, I'm going to take you to a place where all your misery simply stops, ceases. That is something to get so excited about. I want to tell you just real quick in conclusion, how? Because I know most of us are here probably tonight, and maybe you don't have that chill of anticipation in you as we've read through this passage about out of Egypt, I've called my son. So I want to explain to you in 2014 how you could very quickly, by doing something, be injected by the Holy Spirit with the gift of anticipation for all of 2014. Okay, here it goes. Revelation 22.20. This is what it says. It's second to last verse in the entire Bible. Revelation 22.20. Jesus Christ speaking. Last time he speaks in the scriptures. And he says, I am going to come back. I am going to return. I'm going to come back and get you. And the writer John says these words. He just writes, Amen. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, come on back. Here's what I would like to ask you, invite you, challenge you to do through all 2014. Every time you see a cancer patient, every time you see a cancer patient, I want you to say, amen, Lord Jesus, come back. We need you back here. Come back. 
because that misery is going to end. Every time you hear about a failed marriage, and maybe that failed marriage is yours, you say, Amen, Lord Jesus. Come on back and take us out of Egypt. Every time you hear about a natural disaster or war or crime or genocide or racial comment or an insult, every time you have a money problem or you know somebody that does, every time you hear some wicked, nasty thing that hurts your heart, what you say in that moment is, come back, Lord Jesus. We need you back here. It's not, look, it's not good for us to stay here. This represents Egypt. This represents misery. What Jesus Christ is promising us in his second advent is that whatever, whatever is a nightmare in your life right now ends when he comes back and splits the sky. And everybody, that is something to get excited about and to anticipate that all of our problems end. I think it's absolutely awesome. So I want to encourage you to do that. All right, now, we're going to end tonight with something that we do every single year. I would like you to find your uh, candles, if you could. Could you find your candles? And we're going to have Matt and Kara come up, and my family is going to come up here. So you can find that. All right, don't turn them on yet. Don't turn the candles on yet. So let's all just stand up. All right, before we sing, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, God, for your word. We thank you, God, for what it, what it means to us tonight. Lord, we think about within this auditorium the great amount of hurt and pain that is represented just within these walls, just within these walls. The misery of Egypt, the health problems, the relationship problems, the rejection, the hurt, the pain inside of these walls. And then, God, we get this chill that runs up our spine that says, oh, my gosh, there's one day, one day on a second advent of Jesus Christ that you're going to come back and you're going to end all of that for me. Could that really be true? And your word says, yes, it is true. I'm going to come back and lead you out of Egypt. So, Lord, I want to ask that, God, you would give us strength as we wait for you. And I want to ask, Father, that you would infuse us, that you would inject us, Father, with that joy and the anticipation of the greatest gift we could ever receive, salvation and deliverance to a new life out of Egypt. In Christ's name, amen. Okay. We all have our candles? Get one? Get an extra one for me? No? Oh, great. Okay. We're going to shut out the lights, and after we shut out the lights, if you'll find the little switch, so we'll go ahead. Who's ever on the lights is going to kill. There we go. All right, let's switch our lights on, and we're going to sing Silent Night.
It's been a privilege for me and my family for the past 13 years to stand before you. And I'm thinking tonight as I'm looking out over all these wonderful twinkling lights, uh, you all have been a bright and shining light in our lives for 13 years. And you really mean so much to us. We consider you all family. And we love you very much. And every year we get to stand up here and we're reminded of what a wonderful community God has put together here and what an honor and a privilege it is to be a part of it and to serve here. We love you very much and we wish all of you a very Merry Christmas. God bless you. Have a good evening. Bye-bye. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.